everyone welcome to this second book review uh the book i will be reviewing is john williams 1960 western novel butcher's crossing um, most people know john williams because of stoner uh, which is one of my favorite novels of all time and in a sense since reading this um it's not necessarily unfortunate that williams is known primarily because of stoner because stoner is ultimately you know as described by many the perfect novel it's a masterpiece however i would push to say that butcher's crossing um is on par with stoner uh in its style in its flow in its ability to deal with extremely brutal and complex things and themes uh in a very readable and i don't mean that in a lazy sense in a very readable way i mean john williams is one of the authors who if i pick up stoner or now if i picked up butcher's crossing and just open to a random page i will end up reading at least 20 pages because his ability uh to to just hold your attention and to seamlessly carry everything forward is basically unmatched um and so the only one of his novels i now haven't read is augustus uh which i'm looking forward to um i have read his uh his his first novel which he wrote when he was younger which is okay but it, it doesn't match these two and there's a big big break between them but butcher's crossing is uh, sort of almost now i guess a classic western um novel and it's you know, bordering on becoming one of the quintessential Westerns. And it's also described as being one of the novels which sort of made it possible for Cormac McCarthy uh, to, be, to be the writer he is or to open up that space. And I didn't quite get what they meant by that until I'd finished it and thought about it for a while. Um, and so the novel follows Will Andrews, who is um, he's a young lad. He's 23 years old. He's the son of a minister. Um, and he was a third year Harvard student. Um, and, you know, via some inspiration, he's sought out the West. He's sought out the frontier. He's given up that life. We don't, we, we hardly know anything about, you know, whether or not he was really any good, what, what, what his plans were in that sense. Um, it's a fairly quick description of where he's come from. He's basically a young man who's become bored and disenfranchised with that life and sought out the West while it's still there. Um, and so he heads to Butcher's Crossing and there he's told by his father that there'll be a man called MacDonald and MacDonald upon meeting him doesn't really know him all that well. He doesn't really know him at all. And then when Will mentions his father, MacDonald vaguely remembers him and says, there's no real reason he should remember me. But out of sort of a strange sense of duty, he sort of says to, to Will Andrews, well, he, he could give him some work sorting out all these papers. He's, uh, MacDonald is trading hides, uh, buffalo hides, and I imagine other hides and skins and pelts. And Will Andrews sort of says, you know, no, that's not what I came here for. He wants to get out there. He wants to be hunting. He wants to be whatever it is. He wants to be out on the frontier. And MacDonald says to him, you don't want to do that. And this, this horseshoe concludes at the end of the novel as to why he doesn't really want to do that. And it's a pretty deep reason as to why. And MacDonald clearly understands it better than most, but we'll get to that. Um, there won't, 
there's there's sort of two things that could be considered clear spoilers and I won't mention them. Um, but McDonald says to him, look, okay, you know, the typical thing of a young man not listening. Uh, and he says, look, I guess you're just going to do it, whatever. But if you're going to seek out this, this hunter, because the other, he knows this guy called Miller and he knows he's, you know, trustworthy, a bit better than the rest, he says. And so he seeks out Miller, who's, um, he's an experienced hunter, a mountain man. Um, and he, he, Miller already has a thing in mind that he's been wanting to do, but he doesn't have the money. And what he wants to do is he wants to go to the Colorado mountains and hunt buffalo, which he saw there 10 years prior. And this is the time when it doesn't seem to be all that many buffalo as there was where there'd be literally a mile expanse of buffalo uh, indistinguishable from the horizon. And it's sort of a time where it's known that that's not a thing anymore. But Miller convinces um, Andrews, which is what his name, we mostly know him as Andrews, he's Will Andrews, but we know him as Andrews through the rest of the novel. He convinces him and he says, look, if you put up your share, then there's going to be a lot of money in it for you. You know, you're going to gain a lot of experience. You're going to get what you want. Um, and so Andrews agrees to him and he says, we're going to need a small team because it's sort of a two week trek there, four weeks there hunting these buffalo, skinning them, preparing the hides, and then two weeks back. So this is a long trip. So they're going to need, you know, a wagon, all these provisions and the details and the descriptions of all the provisions and the wagons are highly detailed, highly realistic and extremely important for the novel. And so the other two um, men that go along with them are Charlie Hogue, who is, for me, the most interesting character in the whole book. Peculiar, peculiar man. And he knows Miller. And Miller and him seem to have sort of an unspoken bond from something they've experienced in the frontier. Um, but Charlie is he's a one-armed veteran of frontier life. He's a bit disheveled. Um, he's an alcoholic. He's constantly drinking whiskey and he always carries a Bible with him. And he's, he's everything in the world is very clear providence for him. If, if, you know, something's going bad, it's because there was sin there. If someone gets hurt, it's because they're a blasphemer. And he brings up very stark, controversial religious topics almost to himself and, and people don't really know what to do with it. And then finally, we have a, a man called Fred Schneider, who is a hide skinner, an extremely experienced skinner who Miller has to go and get from another town because he says, we're going to need an amazing skinner for this. Also someone who can teach Andrews um, how to do it. And those are our four main characters that we're going to follow throughout. And, and the, the book works so well because you have an extremely small cast for people really who actually on the surface of it of what they say how they speak seemingly don't have all that much depth depth and andrews perhaps has a little bit more at the start because he's come from harvard and he he's going on this journey and he wants to you know sort of have this i don't know coming of age experience of the frontier life um but outside of this the only other person who is sort of named or is of merit outside of McDonald is um, a prostitute, a whore, a whore with a heart of gold uh, called Francine, who she works in Butcher's Crossing as a prostitute. And she takes a liking to Will because, you know, the sort of the metaphor of he still has smooth hands, right? He's still this young, innocent man who's arrived and she takes a liking to him 
on a, on a very personal level simply because of that. But it doesn't last all that long because, well, uh, Miller goes and gets everything they need for the journey he wants to head out. Um, and Schneider's, Schneider is reluctant. He says, look, they're not going to, those buffalo that you saw 10 years ago aren't going to be there. And so he doesn't take um, stock as his payment option, you know, the amount of hides that they might get, which for Miller's, Miller's sort of ranking will be around three to four thousand, uh, at four dollars a piece. He agrees with McDonald. So they're looking to make sort of a lot of money, right? But Schneider's, Schneider's very pessimistic. Um, he says, just pay me $60 a month and that will be my payment. And so they, they get everything together. And in a sense, Butcher's Crossing is a generic up and coming town, which people think the railroad is going to go through. And so in that sense, people are just, you know, McDonald has gathered all this land at Butcher's Crossing because he thinks as soon as a railroad passes through, it's going to be a boom town. And there's this general idea of that sort of prospecting, uh, mindset that, that, you know, sort of like a gold rush is coming in a way. And so they set out. And this is, in a sense, where the book really begins. And it begins in the sense that the book is, honestly, I believe, is about nature. Uh, it's not nature writing, but it's about man and his relationship to nature, his oversights, his arrogance, his ignorance. Uh, and in a way, nature is their constant white whale throughout the novel. And and Andrews is, of course, fairly naive. You know, he he... He has this idea that it's going to be, well, he doesn't necessarily have any ideas of what it's going to be like, but of course, immediately it's fairly, fairly stark. And the first thing that really happens and or the, the first sort of hurdle in a way is, is begins their relationship with natural human needs versus nature. And what's absolutely brilliant about the novel is William's way to the way in which he takes a certain need and a certain absolutely vital element that they, they were almost praying and yearning for early on and gives it in such abundance later on that the whole thing becomes absurd and you realize, you realize who's in charge and it's the elements, it's the seasons. And so they, they set out towards Colorado along a trail, you know, sort of a non-trail, which isn't really, um, walked along or traveled all that much. And so their first problem is finding, is finding water. And Williams describes the dryness and the, the, the parched nature of everything in such detail that, you know, any reader, I would challenge any reader to not quickly go grab a glass of water while they're reading it. And this in turn brings in all these descriptions of, you know, the way that's changing both their relationships with each other, how they're, how they're evolving in their relationships with each other, but also just the general descriptions of the fact that now it's actually very difficult to eat. And of course, they've brought all these provisions, which are generally has to have to be dried provisions. Their provisions are ultimately sacks of dried beans, which they then soak, uh, salt pork and coffee is like the three main things. And also these dried biscuits. And they finally sort of come across a water source after you know, however long, uh, and they sort of, you know, just about make it. And you, you, you get this unnerving feeling as the reader that there wasn't really, no one was in charge and it was happenstance. But Miller, Miller strives ahead in sort of a strange, 
apocalypse now sense of just accepting nature as it is. You know, he's always, look, it will work out. It will be fine. And, and it's slowly sort of, slowly you realize as a reader that Miller, he seems at first only to care about killing. He just wants to get these buffalo. He wants to kill these buffalo. And this, this task that he wants to undertake is almost a strange not necessarily supernatural, but it's, it's a, it's a duty which is beyond anything. I mean, this is really his only meaning. And when they finally, they finally do get to the Colorado mountains, um, uh, which is, there's a lot of, you know, strife and suffering and Andrew's learning that this is fairly miserable work, but they get there and they set camp and they finally come across this herd of, of buffalo, which, which block, block out the horizon because they're so thick. Uh, you know, it's like a thick, black expanse where you can't even tell one animal apart from the other and miller just wants to get to work straight away and he he uh after a long scene where he's quite literally forging the bullets there over the fire he finally rides out and uh performs what's called a stand which is you know how many sort of how many buffalo can he kill with his rifle in a stand in such a way that they won't all run off. But Buffalo generally, as it's described, and I believe Williams would have done a lot of research, it's extremely realistic. They don't just run off. They're fairly, you know, they kill the leader, as they say, and they don't run off. And this really leads to Miller just basically mercilessly killing them for the sake of he just wants to get through these. And this is where the first signs of this strange sense, which Williams really wants to imbue the novel with, of this completely glazed overlook of people who have been battered by this frontier before. And in a sense, I believe Miller wants to, in a, in a way, um, perform this task of killing the buffalo as a, as a way to know that he's got one over on nature or something of this sort. And they, they slaughter, they slaughter every single buffalo. And what then happens? And this is where I'm going to try be a little less descriptive because it will enter into spoiler territory um they they finally get to the dregs of this buffalo uh they've killed about you know three four thousand and there's about 300 left in the valley and schneider's getting very very annoyed at miller and saying you're pushing your luck basically we need to we need to get back and all of a sudden one day there's, there's like an eerie silence scene and it begins to snow and there's a snowstorm which is so bad within an instant that within three pages, the entire narrative is turned to just surviving the snowstorm, which suddenly means that actually they have to wait out the entire winter through to spring, six months in the most horrendous conditions possible. And what these conditions really allow is a complete almost absence of time where these four men that all of a sudden realized that their relation to each other was just to really hunt these buffalo, get the money, and all of them get on living. You know, Andrews wants to have his experience with the frontier. Miller wants to take, just kill the buffalo and get them back as a as a sort of a victorious one-over on nature. Hogue, Hogue and Miller have this strange relationship where Miller, in a way, is taking Hogue along as like a favor. He's the camp cook, but he's also clearly actually gone a bit mad. He's, nature's gotten into him so much that Miller, I think, as a, as a duty, takes him along with him. And then Schneider, because Schneider was really just along for the ride, is is angry and just absent. 
at this whole thing that's happened. The fact he's now got to stay there six months and he mostly walks off on his own all day. Miller then walks off to see if he can kill any more buffalo in this deep snow or kill some game. Uh, and those two are on their own most of the time. And then Andrews and Hogue are at camp and they rarely speak. The whole description, the whole narrative at this point is battling the constant elements that have, have basically got inside of them. There, there's a cold which they can't shift and it's just pure survival. And at this point, the, the, the strangeness of the novel is that the, the, the elements and problems that they faced a mere 40 pages ago are so far behind this idea of struggling for, for possibly for water and then at a certain point for food are gone. They have it, all of that in abundance now. And now there's this new element that nature's thrown at them in a complete, there's no such thing as nonchalance for nature, but for them, a nonchalance, this is what you've got to deal with because there was an arrogance of not leaving sooner. And so eventually they they do survive the storm, uh, the snowstorm. They wait it out and then this is where I will sort of stop my description of the narrative because this is where most of the spoilers are on the way back. But what I would say about the spoilers is, and maybe you might have gleamed it from what I've described so far, is that... Once you're about a third way into the book and you have this feeling of nature as this absolutely relentless force and the seasons is a relentless force and what it is that's holding them back from any real semblance of potential or possibility or direction is their own arrogance. The, the ultimate conclusion, well, not that, no, the penultimate conclusion is already drawn. It's already written in the sand. And I think as a, as a reader, you know, that has to happen, whatever that may be. There is another ultimate conclusion and through finally through these final conclusions, um, avoiding other spoilers, but this, this bit near the end and doesn't spoil anything is extremely important. Andrews goes back to, uh, they finally make their way back to Butch Butcher's Crossing and see McDonald about, about the, the deal with the hides and the whole town is, they've been gone about a year now instead of six weeks. The whole town is basically now deserted. Uh, the railroad isn't going to be coming through. It's going to be built 50 miles north. So that town is now basically defunct. And they, they are completely empty as humans. They, the, the, the whole experience has done very little for them in, in way of progression, in a sense. And McDonald basically then explains to Andrews, you know, this is what I was trying to convey to you. And there's a brilliant passage in this discussion between Andrews and McDonald or McDonald and Andrews really, where McDonald is saying to him, if you feel like you, you ever know anything, if you feel like you've worked anything out, then you haven't matured at all because you don't know anything. It isn't like you think it is. And in a way he's saying it always wins and you should just take what you can get while it's there. And this is when, and this is strangely only maybe the last 70 pages of the novel packs in this peculiar ending and uncanniness where they're left with basically nothing uh, after all this strife once again. And Andrews goes to the bar in Butcher's Crossing and sees Hogue there. And Hogue's sort of gone insane, not raving and screaming, but he says, he says to Hogue, well, how have you been? It's been a few days. And Hogue says, oh, we're, we're going out on a, on a hunt for buffalo. And uh, Andrew says, no, 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 we've, we've already done that. Do you not remember? And he tells him to stop being weird. But Hogue 
now back on the whiskey, is completely glazed over. He's completely lost lost to himself. And there's there's nothing for anyone really to hold on to at the end of this novel. And there's very little in a in a way, in a sense, for in a good way, for the reader to hold on to. I mean, it's it's a masterpiece. One thing I'll say is, I'm not always going to say that about every single book I review, but at the same time, I don't like critiquing things because I think it's too easy. So probably the books I will review will be books that I think are incredible. And this is when it dawned on me why people have said that this opens the way for McCarthy, because this is a book where at the beginning, the humans take this key role, right? We're, we're packing up our stuff. We're getting our provisions. This is our route. And very, very quickly, the humans are just humans. They're these animals amongst other animals in certain points entering into a bloodlust. And they're lost to nature. Nature takes over. And the fact nature takes over for such a, you know, 80, 90% of the novel where you, you should really be worried about what nature's doing, what the seasons are doing, what your, your natural needs are doing, hunger, thirst, warmth, right? Those are what count. Um, the fact that they take over for so long and they're gone for now a year, by the time you get back to Butcher's Crossing, which is now this town that's falling apart, Andrew Andrews goes and sees um, Francine, the prostitute, who they sort of had a little thing before, and that's sort of gone, and the town's sort of gone, and no one knows anyone or anything they're talking about, and they don't know anyone there, and none of the human things or anything that they've really done matters. Nothing has been built in that sense. And so as a reader, you're left with very little in the way of progression. The main progression is... Andrew's realization of the fact that the thing which haunts Hogue, the thing which MacDonald was referencing and saying to him, don't do it. And the thing which really turns Miller into like an Ahab type character is now within him. And he has to deal with this sort of strange possession of nature in his own way. Uh, and he, deals with it in a, in a way which is sort of right for his character. And you're left with a, the, the haunting feeling that a ton has been undone, nothing has been made, and a lot has been lost, but you can't really put your finger on what. Um, and that's sort of my review of the book. And I love books like this where basically not much, ha a lot happens, but not much happens. Um, and the thing I'll say just about John Williams' writing is... It seems so simple. It, his writing seems so, so simple. Um, and it is. It's some of the, the simplest style imaginable. But his flow, his ability to get you from one place to the next, sometimes taking weeks, sometimes, you know, sometimes taking 50 pages, but sometimes taking two pages, but it happens so seamlessly. And I have never read a section of literature at least not in memory, where, you know, the whole I couldn't put the book down quotation that people say, the snowstorm scene, which is which lasts over a hundred pages of the book, I would challenge anyone to put the book down once that scene begins, because everything has been uprooted again. And it's a frontier which just constantly keeps reappearing. The frontier keeps re reappearing and eventually the frontier is in you and they all end up with this same glazed over look where they can't commu communicate anything with each other. 
but I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend this book. If you haven't read any John Williams before, I would, of course, begin with Stoner. Um, whether or not I'll do a review of Stoner, I don't know. It'd probably be about the fifth time I've read it. Um, but this is another masterpiece for me, and it is on par with Stoner, and it's one of the best Westerns I've ever read. Uh, and I guess I probably couldn't say what the best Western I've read is because they they do have a lot of qualitative difference, but I'm a big fan of Westerns as well. But that's my review there of John Williams, Butcher's Crossing. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening.